Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Action Addicts Podcast, or welcome if it's your first time. I'm your host, Scott Wiley, and this is the show. If this is your first time listening, welcome in, welcome in, gather around the warm fire. Here on the show, we talk about action films. We talk about everything and anything, really, that takes my fancy from any era, from any country, whether or not it released theatrically or not, because this one didn't. It's a Netflix film, and it starred Chris Hemsworth and was directed by Sam Hargraves, and it is Extraction. And I apologize uh, if I'm sounding a bit strained in this intro and in the outro. Uh, I've got a cut uh, inside my mouth, which is making talking a little bit difficult. So bear with me. I'm uh, doing my best. Before we go any further, I just wanted to say thank you if... Uh, you're somebody that reached out because of last week's episode, which was the tribute, I think is is the word I'm going to use uh, for Jason David Frank, who sadly passed away. Many people actually reached out to me after they listened to that episode over the course of the week, and it kind of took me by surprise how many did and what you had to say, to be to be honest. You know, I get feedback sometimes on episodes, whether it be on Twitter, whether it be through people sending me texts, or very, very occasionally someone will email the Action Addicts Gmail account. But this time I got a lot of feedback saying that it really, you know, they really enjoyed it, or it really affected them, or, you know, it got them emotional. And I think that's what we were going for, that's what people needed. You know, we wanted to share some stories, we wanted to say the things that maybe don't get said that much, and like I said in the episode, there's a ton of stuff I have in my head. There's stories I've heard that I know don't get repeated an awful lot. There's a lot of information that I often think is well known in regards to if you follow an actor, i.e. JDF, uh, or any of the other people that have been in Power Rangers because they end up getting asked the same questions at conventions, they've told the same stories dozens of times, and then... You talk to someone and they've never heard it, even though, you know, I've probably heard these things five or six times by this point, if if not more. And so I kind of wanted to kind of carry that on, if that makes sense. So if you did hear something for the first time or it moved you, I really appreciate the fact that you took the time to tell me. And it actually kind of reminded me on a, not you know, on a similar note. If you're somebody that listens to this show on a podcast app that lets you review, and I know a lot of you do, uh, because I also want to give a thanks to everybody that kind of made my uh, Spotify wrapped really cool, because I didn't expect to have such uh, numbers, but more importantly, impact uh, for the Action Addicts podcast. There were so many people that have us in our top 10, our top 5, and our top show, which considering we haven't had our one-year anniversary yet, and my upload schedule has not been the best because of outside factors. 
combine that with the fact I did my JDF episode and I got a bit emotional myself. So thank you to those people that listen to us on the regular. I'm I'm so happy that there is a following for the show. And I'm really sorry if you're a new person that's just picked this show to, to listen to for the first time because I'm, I'm really talking for a while here. But I just wanted to say thanks and express gratitude because I don't want to do it every single episode because it can get very monotonous and repetitive listening to that sort of thing. But I, I felt like it needs to be said somewhere that isn't just a tweet or, or an Instagram post. So in the spirit of those things, if you do listen on Spotify and if you do... Uh, listen on Apple or, or insert podcast app of choice that allows you to rate and review. I would really appreciate it if you could rate it at the very least, review it if you have the time. It makes a difference, apparently. You know, it's one of those things that I probably don't put as much effort into reminding people stroke promoting as I should. This show is reaching people and in order for that to continue growing, uh, I guess we just have to play the game and I have to constantly be like, could you give us some reviews, please? And uh, I appreciate that if you do take the time to do so, because, yeah, it's one of those things that I I don't really like saying, can you leave us a rating and review? But it's, it's, you know, it is what it is. Everybody listening understands the game. And so I'm going to throw it over. I'm not going to give a massive intro because I've just taken up so much of this episode's time, but uh, this is a new guest, so I hope you'll enjoy his perspective. He uh, he might put some of you on the back foot, <laughs> I think is the nicest way of putting it, uh, because I'm warning you now, he comes into this from a totally different perspective than I do, and I suspect many of the show's audience does, namely that he didn't like the film, and I was really interested by that. And I think that's why uh, we had such an interesting conversation, because there was so much to dissect and talk about, not necessarily even just in the action department, but I really enjoyed hearing a different perspective on, you know, pretty much everything to my own. That's kind of why I was open to the idea of having people on that aren't just my circle of friends, even though I will obviously continue to have those people on, but I really enjoyed having uh, somebody new on that isn't an action aficionado, doesn't talk about films, you know, he does completely different things, so I shall throw it over to him now, and uh, you guys can listen to us talk about Extraction, and uh, talk about it, we most definitely do, so I shall see you guys for the outro. Okay, and we're here. I'm going to try to stop thanking myself for those amazing intros because A, they're not that amazing, and B, I get bored of doing it. We're joined here today by somebody new, and to save myself trying to introduce him, I'm going to let him do that because I like to cheat that way. So let's throw it over to our guest for this week, and he can introduce himself. Hi, my name is Kevin. Uh, I'm host of the Jury Room Podcast, which is a true crime podcast. I'm really excited to be here. I don't get to talk about movies as much as I probably should. Maybe I'm in the wrong genre, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, my show is a true crime uh, podcast. Very serious in nature. I cover a lot of different cases from serial killers all the way to missing persons and everything in between. And also right now I'm working on a series on addiction. So I'm trying to start a conversation around substance abuse, addicts, the stigma. Uh, legalization of 
you know, of different substances because, you know, and no, in no way am I looking down on anybody, but, you know, alcohol is legal and it's one of the worst things out there for you. So, and that's just, you know, my personal opinion. Again, I don't look down on people who drink and it's not like I won't hang out with somebody who drinks. It's just, if you're going to give somebody a substance like alcohol, they should have uh, access to other substances. So, but yeah, so that's a little bit about me and my show. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. That's quite all right, man. I mean, uh, full disclosure, we were brought together by the power of Twitter. I actually was familiar with your show before then. I don't quite remember how. I think it came up. I think we must have a couple of mutuals because I've seen your stuff appear in my feed before. And I'll be honest, I'm not a true crime fan. My partner is, Jade. She she loves all that sort of stuff. So I've no doubt she'll start listening to your shows and tell me it's good. Um, and I know that that has a big appeal. So if you like that kind of stuff, guys, go listen to them. They've got loads of episodes. I had a, I had a look and it's like, oh my God, there's so many. There's a lot here. If you want, if you, if you want some content. <laughs> yeah. I put out over a hundred episodes and just the last. So I'm not sure if you're familiar, but with the, uh, the dope sick show that's on Hulu, that's kind of what invested me into starting the series on addiction, but. In the last almost two months, I've put out almost 20 episodes, roughly, give or take. I don't remember the exact number, but it's been it's been exciting, man. I'm 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 putting out content. It's it's doing well. And so I'm I'm just I'm really happy with where with where my show is. Yeah, uh, it's weird because there's a lot of stuff that I feel like we talk about on this show that kind of moves over into real life. So. Now we've got someone doing the opposite, talking about stuff that happens in real life, crossing over into <laughs> the land of fiction. So I thought that was right. quite a nice perspective. Absolutely. Um, it's also the sort of thing like I don't I don't really want to spend too much time on it because I know that, you know, it's been covered to death. But the world is kind of uh, obsessed at the moment with what's happening in court cases between people and the outcomes of such. <laughs> so I think uh, anyone who's in that kind of a world right now is probably sick to death of everybody suddenly being interested in their world all of a sudden for, for no reason <laughs> well i promise that if you come over to my show you will not hear about that court case that is not uh in my realm of uh genre it's not something i like to i don't really get into that kind of stuff i'll, I'll watch it from like a personal perspective but as far as my show goes no i, I stay away from that stuff man that's that's uh that's toxic yeah yeah it doesn't even matter what side you're on what you think it's just Mm -mm. even going there is is it just a a waste of everybody's time (laughs) we got we were talking uh like i say over twitter and uh, there's a bunch of different people that will start talking about potentially wanting to come and talk about films because of uh, one of the people that we both follow and uh we started talking and you were actually talking to me about john wick and then i said well what about extraction and you said what's that and I was like, well, there we go. That's that's the one we're going to talk about. That's the one we're going to talk about. Uh, yeah. So I, I hadn't seen this movie. So when you brought it up, first of all, I love John Wick. It's one of my fa- most favorite movies of all times. But I hadn't heard of this one. So I was like, okay, yeah, well, let's watch it. And I I don't know. I, I'll wait till we start talking about it before I start revealing how I feel about it. I, I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to ask you, like, this is the first time watch for you. You said you watched it yesterday. So what was your 
first impressions? Uh, I thought the movie was shot well. The the different perspective, it, it almost felt like a video game at time, the way that some of the action scenes were shot, uh, which I appreciated. I felt that the, they did a really, the cinematography for the movie was done really well. And so I appreciated that. Uh, but as far as the story went, I couldn't get into it. And the whole, I just, I wasn't a fan of it. I felt myself kind of getting bored uh, from the beginning. And I felt like they did not develop the storylines as well as they should have. They wanted you to be invested in characters that you really didn't know about. And it just, it felt forced. Uh, but some of the action scenes were amazing. And some of the things that they were doing that you normally don't see in a movie, like at one point they threw a kid over a building mm. and it caught my attention. That caught my attention. Cause I was like, Holy shit. I was like, that doesn't happen. You know, that's just not a, what do you, what would you call that? It's not a, a norm in a movie to throw a kid off a building, you know? Yeah. So there, there were there were definitely scenes that I was like, oh, okay, all right. So, I, you know, there were a lot of things that I could appreciate about the film, but overall, as far as the movie goes, I couldn't get into it. It was, <clears throat> by the end, I was super bored. I'm not going to lie. I was like, okay, this needs to, I'm, I'm done. This was, it was a two-hour movie, so I was ready for it to be over. That's fair. I think um, one of the reasons I was interested to hear your reaction is because the film kind of had a, a mixed reaction from memory. Obviously, it was two years ago, but I like it, obviously. Um, that's why I wouldn't have said, oh, let's rewatch it. I'm very rarely will say this film was shit. We're going to rewatch it um, <laughs> unless I really, really want to like dissect into why There's, there is a slight difference there. But it's one of those things where I could see why people really like this movie, but I could also see why people don't like this movie. However, from my point of view, I agree with you about some of the characters not being developed enough. I noticed that uh, a lot more this time around. It obviously helped that I knew where the story was going because I'd already seen it. So I was sort of thinking, did that bother me the first time around? I don't really remember because the only stuff I remember about this film were, as you said, the action set pieces that you don't see very often and how well they were shot. Um largely in part due to the fact that this was uh, Sam Hargreaves' first time directing a film, but he's worked for many years as a stuntman, a stunt coordinator. He was uh, Captain America's stunt double, Wolverine's stunt double. He's done a lot, and he did a lot of the camera work himself in this film. The, the scene that stuck with me the most is the car chase sequence at the very beginning of the film. Well, not the very beginning, but when the action all kicks off, and the camera's trying to do a one take and there's shots on the back of the cars and there's vehicles colliding into each other. He's literally like basically taped onto the back of a car holding the camera himself because he wasn't uh, crazy enough to ask someone else to do it, but was crazy enough to do it himself. But just being on the back of a speeding vehicle, filming it all how he wants it. So that's kind of why you get these weird shots that you don't see very often. <laughs> Which is, so it's funny you bring that up because I was, you know, digging into the to the director and, you know, the different people and it, it made sense as to why it was shot that way. As soon as I seen that he was a stunt coordinator, I was like, oh yeah, so he's, he's done it. So he knows what he's looking for <clears throat> as far as, you know, getting those perfect shots, getting the shots on the back of the car, you know, making it look like it's a video game. There were certain parts where I was like, 
I was like, damn, that's, you know, you don't see that often in an action movie. The way the first person view like that was, it was, I appreciated it. Uh, I'm, this is nothing to do with this film, but just out of curiosity, uh, have you seen a film called One Shot starring Scott Adkins? Probably not. No, it sounds familiar, but no. Well, it's 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 a it's a more recent release, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, I think for mm-hmm. you, it came out last year. For us in the UK, it came out beginning of this year because you know licenses. But um, the entire premise of that film is that it's all one shot. So you saying that this film makes it feel like a video game? If you watch that film, it genuinely feels like you're watching cutscenes from like a Call of Duty game in a good way. You know, it's not a bad thing. Right. They really seem to be pushing the envelope with these one shot takes. Like obviously 1917 did a similar thing, but there's a, you know, one shot was made for like $5 million. 1917 was like $165 million, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. That's interesting. I'll have to check it out. I hadn't heard of it. I probably saw it on, it looks like it's on Hulu. So I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah. Um, Hulu doesn't exist here in the UK. So to go back to Disney something you Plus, asked me earlier, right? uh, there is Disney Plus, but a lot of the stuff, a lot of stuff like that, like One Shot is a good example, ends up on Sky, which is just an absolute nightmare because then there's no real easy way to watch it. Um, oh, okay. So if it's on Disney Plus, that's great. But like most stuff, for example, that's on HBO Max goes to Sky. So it's just like, I write that stuff off now. It's like, you know, it's just, I can't even be bothered to try and figure out where in Sky it's gone because there's just too many channels, too many packages, cost way too much money. Oh, no shit. Yeah. That's so, crazy. Yeah, HBO, HBO doesn't exist over here. Hulu doesn't exist over here. At least, like you say, with Disney, we get a lot of that stuff. But HBO stuff, nah. It's the same as, like... uh Although we have Paramount Plus, a lot of the the flagship shows like the Star Trek stuff, it's still split between Amazon and Netflix at the moment because of pre-existing licenses for Netflix and Amazon to have those shows. So, you know. Right. Well, that's that's crazy, man. I didn't know. See, I didn't know that. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I've never been to the UK or really outside of. Well, I've been outside of America, but never like that far outside of America. Um, So it's crazy to me to. To think that the way that we consume media, you guys consume it completely different. Like, obviously, same in a lot of levels, but like, you don't even get like some of the HBO shows. And, and there are some really good HBO content that you guys are missing out on because who wants to fucking search for it? Yep. It's, uh, it's always been that way. So for, for us, it's no different. I think that the advent of social media kind of just if you're not in the u.s especially you just constantly get reminded how far behind every other country is because obviously it tends to release first for you guys it's way easier to find you have all the cable stuff which doesn't never used to exist over here so it was always just a case of waiting for it to go to satellite tv aka sky um and (laughs) or you could wait for it for normal analog broadcast television which obviously is now digital uh, but that would be like, you know, you might see it in five years time, you know, with about That's 20 crazy. advert breaks stitched into it. That's crazy. So I'm assuming, have you seen Peacemaker then? I have seen Peacemaker, yes. Okay, I was going to say, you got to at least watch that one. Yeah, Peacemaker was great. I'd love to do an episode on it sometime. But uh, anyway, Extraction. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, this is going to be a good episode, folks. We've already gone off topic and we haven't even been going that long. So uh, I'd strap in now. So what was it that you didn't like about the characters then, since you specifically said they weren't that developed, which is I can kind of agree with, but I want to hear your thoughts. So my story, my problem was, is that they wanted us to, I get it. The kid was a, um, a job, right? So basically they were trying to extract this kid and I could never figure out who his father was, which that part was like, like who was paying for the extraction to begin with. And then at some point during the movie, he is, you know, talking with the kid and he's like having this flashback about his kid, but it was like the first time we had heard of his kid and he's crying about it, which is whatever. That's not the part that I'm, you know what I mean? But I feel like they were trying to force us to feel something for some, for a part of the storyline that we hadn't even heard about. And so that part was frustrating for me because it was like, uh well i don't even know what you're talking about but okay and then you you know and then so he's talking to the kid and then his friend comes back which is played by david uh, harbour um and and then it just cuts to them hanging out and partying again like nothing ever happened and i'm like what the fuck like it was just i don't know it was just so confusing that part of the storyline just it it threw me off and then again at the end when he you know when he dies it brings his son back into it but again you don't know there's no backstory to it there's no build-up to it there's no nothing you you have no idea what's going on and so that part it just was was hard for me to be able to believe it you know what i mean because you have no no context to it it was just i just didn't like that part of the storyline okay see it's interesting because Again, it's it's always harder doing this when it's a first time watch for you and it's at a rewatch for me because it's hard to remember if if I was as confused the first time or if, if not. Right, but right because you have the, the the you had the luxury of already knowing what was coming and seeing it and you knew what was you know happening. But even so, right? So somebody from for a because honestly, like my opinion, I probably wouldn't watch it again. It's not a movie that I would probably you know watch again. Yeah. So I don't know if I would have a, a different feeling, you know what I mean, than the second time around. But if me for a first time watcher is watching it and they're confused, I mean at that point, you know, they're gonna they're gonna turn it off or they're you know, they're gonna say that they didn't like it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See for me, at the very beginning of the film, when we're first introduced to Tyler Rake after uh Ovi Mahajan gets kidnapped he's getting those flashbacks to the beach already obviously you don't know mm-hmm. what they mean and um it's pretty obvious that he's kind of semi-suicidal in that he doesn't really give a shit about himself he's you know he jumps right. off that massive cliff without really being that fussed if he comes out the other side and when uh, he gets recruited by uh, nick the the woman that runs the team he's just living in uh not very good accommodation isn't really worried about it and his whole reason for going is he needs the money and she's like no it's not you're just hoping that someone's gonna put a bullet in your head and he doesn't really argue with that so 
I'm pretty sure that even the first time round, I you're right, they do they don't really telegraph it, it very obviously, but I was kind of waiting for why are you like this? What is it? Why are you so clearly dead set against trying to stay with us? Clearly you're just constantly going on these suicide missions hoping that one of them's actually gonna do the trick. So you clearly have some trauma in the background. So when they do have that scene where he's like, Yeah, I had a family and then he's like, I was expecting them all to be dead. And then when he says, oh, you know, my wife, I haven't seen her for years. I was like, oh, okay. And then they were like, oh, yeah, but I had a son and he obviously died. And it was like, ah, okay, there it is. You know, right. I was I was waiting for, for that. But I could also see why not everybody would. Because like you say, they they mention it at the very beginning. But then throughout most of the extraction, they don't really bring it up again. But it also is kind of like, He's connecting with Ovi purely because he had a son that obviously he's lost. And at some point he decides like, I lost my kid, but we're not going to lose this kid, which is in direct confrontation to what his team wants and what everybody else wants. <laughs> right. And then that was the other part of it too, was I didn't like, I knew I like, I understand there was a job, but that, and that's, again, that's another one of those movie norms that threw me off was, he's trying to save this kid and like he's literally the only person trying to save it everybody else said he's talking to all of his team they don't give a shit they're like no leave the kid you need to get out of there yeah and that part was like it was intriguing because i was like well why like why are they not wanting to save this kid because usually even if a job falls through the the point you know the priority is to get the kid out uh it's because they didn't get the money so they thought they were double crossed and basically they 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 kind of say it in a throwaway line but it's real easy to miss which is that right at the beginning they're like protocol is if we don't get the second payment then whatever target we've been sent to extract you abandon or kill to send a message to every other person that hires us that you don't not pay us and since yeah. as you said the rest of the team really didn't care well it's just right. a, it's just a target it's not a 12 year old kid it's a target right it's just a it's just a job yeah and just to just to help uh, in case other people were confused as well but you were saying that about uh, not knowing about who paid them this bit is confusing and i definitely think i was confused the first time around but it made more sense this time around which is that basically the dad is the guy in the prison I'm, I'm the same as you. They never really explain who he is. Is he a crime lord? Is he a corrupt politician? I mean, clearly he's in jail for something and they act like he's a big deal. And then he obviously tells, uh, Saju to go and rescue the kid. And basically he, he's the one that hires the team, but he doesn't actually have the money to pay them. He never had the money to pay them. His plan was to use Chris Hemsworth's character and his team to get the kid out of the complex and then kill the team so he doesn't have to pay them, essentially, and then take the kid home. So that's why he kills his team on the boat, because he knew he couldn't pay them from day one. So his plan was to just double-cross them from the very word go. And that was the guy that ended up starting to help Chris Hemsworth, right? Yeah, that's that's that guy. That makes sense. Okay. Okay, see that? I couldn't figure out exactly who that guy was either, because He's a badass. That guy was cool. Uh, it was, it was, there was a lot of gruesome parts in it that I, I, not gruesome, but gr it was pretty grotesque when he was breaking his nose and he starts bleeding. Well, 
you know, setting his nose back. But uh, so that makes sense now. Now it makes a little bit more sense that he, so that kid is actually his son. It's not his son. It's his his boss's son. Boss's son. Yeah. His, His boss basically says, if you don't figure out a way to get my son back, I will make sure that your son doesn't see his next birthday, which is why he's willing to betray the mercenaries because he's like, well, I'm now protecting my family because I don't really have a choice. Yeah, they did not explain that well. I mean, I was like, when they were talking about it throughout the movie, I'm like, what the fuck are you guys talking But Okay, all right. All right, I'm starting to pick up what what they were going for. But again, that's that underdeveloped storyline. I feel like they started on the action right from the beginning. And maybe they should have taken, you know, in a two-hour movie, <clears throat> cutting out, you know, 10 minutes of action to maybe explain, you know what I mean? To develop yeah, yeah, yeah. storyline a little bit more. So people, because it just, it felt, which of course it's an action movie, but it felt like they were just trying to focus on, you know, creating as much action as possible. Yeah. And like I said, um, it's, it's difficult because I already kind of knew that. So I'm picking up on stuff. I'm also, when I watched this the first time, I hadn't really started watching, well, any, I say really, I hadn't, I had never watched an Indian action film, but since then I've watched a few. And I think this time around, I was picking up on a lot more from the, uh, not the Indian actors, but the actors that were playing the indigenous populace, as opposed to the scenes done by the mercenaries. And it was kind of like, okay, I kind of get a bit more what's happening this time. And I was picking up on more of the subtext. Uh, don't get me wrong, it's all subtitled. It's not like you got to try and learn another language. But <laughs> I think it's I think it's easy to miss some stuff if you're you know if you're not used to that part of the world. Like you're looking at the spectacle, you're looking at the places, and then like you say, all of a sudden out of nowhere, this big guy just chucks a kid over the balcony, and it's <laughs> like this is a this this area that is run essentially by this kingpin of crime is brutal. Like everybody that lives there is just used to it. Like this is the way life is. Deal with it or get off, you know? Right. Right. And that part was, uh, I feel very accurate. I feel like in a lot of uh, third world countries and stuff like that, they have, you know, people who are brutal like he is, who run, kind of run the world, you know, run their world, I guess, you know, uh, not, not in a greater sense, but, you know, in, in, in their circle of people, and so it kind of wasn't surprising that one person kind of had all that control because that's usually how it kind of works in, in in those kind of populations. You know what I mean? But yeah, um, rewinding a little bit to talk about the first action scene, I did also love because obviously Chris Hemsworth is like six foot two, six foot three. Um, when he's first in that room and he's trying to figure out if Omir is alive, I love the fact that he's like two foot taller than everybody else in there. And all I thought was... Um, <laughs> Earlier this year, everybody kind of lost their minds of Elaine Richardson playing Jack Reacher. And I just thought, well, you, he's kind of going for the Jack Reacher vibe in this scene alone, you know? He's doing very similar things. Uh, no, 100%. And I still haven't seen that show yet. Uh, that's a show on Amazon, right? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't watched that yet. Is it good? Oh, yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, obviously, the action stuff is really well done, but obviously being based on lee child's books the story is really good i think that you'd probably enjoy because obviously there's a a very big mystery element of 
pieces to try and fit together. Well, there you go. You'll have to bring him back on for that one now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, the the that action, the the first action scene was good because you had these. They, I mean, I say adults, but they weren't. They were kids, you know, toting these guns around, trying to you know be these badasses, and he just fucking whips their ass, man. Like, and. It was, I, I will give it to the movie that they were actively trying to kill the kids because throughout he would, you know, instead of Chris, Chris Hemsworth character, anyways, he wasn't necessarily like there was that one scene where he was slapping that kid around even yep. though they were trying to kill him. I thought that was pretty funny because I was like, well, at least you're, at least you're not trying to actively kill them even though they're trying to actively kill him. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, that, like you said, in this in this beginning scene, a lot of them are clearly adults. If they're young adults, but they are adults making the conscious choice to do this, so he has no problem taking them down. But there's also that very young child soldier, and he tries he tries multiple times to shoot him. Obviously, he fails, and he's just like, "You can leave." But again, like you said, that kind of tells you straight away that he's got a bit of a stronger moral compass than even he wants to admit. Because right. I get the feeling if that was his mate that we meet later on, played by David Harbour, he'd have just shot them all and not even thought about it. Um, right. But I really like that scene. I like the use of the camera work. It's frenetic. It even does a bit of shaky cam, but not to the point that I think I'm going to have a fit. I like the use of his CQC technique with the wrestling because it's it's nice to see a big, heavy guy actually use his size to an advantage because in a lot of action films, you tend to have a smaller guy going up against bigger guys so that they can show off how acrobatic they are and they use their size against them. But it is nice sometimes to just be like, no, pretty big guys tend to have an advantage in fights, unfortunately. And he does just, you know, kick them away and throw them across the room like they're made of paper. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's more realistic, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, yeah, they, they, I, I agree. The, the, the choreographing of the, the, the fighting was that it didn't feel fake it felt like yeah. you know you could actually believe that they were fighting it felt real and i think again that comes with the director's stuntman work you know being able to see it from a different perspective you know what i mean yeah well it was like i said story-wise uh completely different but action-wise it's why i recommended it when you said how much you enjoyed the john wick film because i feel like they're going after at least in the action a very similar audience a very similar style which is that it's entertaining and just stylish enough that you can really find it enjoyable but it's really trying to keep it grounded to the point you can almost convince yourself it's realistic right well i think the difference though between like john wick and extraction is john wick gives you a reason to fucking root for him right like, yeah, the dog. <laughs> from the be very beginning, you know, animals are generally universally loved. And so uh, it's kind of a collective. We're going to root for the guy that's going to kill the people who killed the animal. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, yeah, 100%. It, it is funny, though, just before we move on, I do have to laugh because I don't think I even picked up on it the first time around. But um, the guy's name, obviously, is Tyler Rake. And he kills one of the guys in that room with a rake that happens to be on the uh, wall nearby. <laughs> oh, dude, that was 
I will give it to him. That was another scene that was cringy because I was like, oh my God, he really did it. Like he put that rake through that guy's face. And so I will give it to him. They were uh, unique in some aspects and the way that they were killing people and the way that they just some of the cringy things that you usually don't see in a movie. They went there and I appreciated that. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Um, I also like the fact that the sniper of the team G was actually useful in that scene instead of just, you know, doing very little, which some films tend to do with snipers. It's like, no, they're, they're very deadly for a reason. <laughs> right. It's funny you say that. Cause that is true. A lot of the times the snipers don't do, you know, what they're supposed to do. And even their sniper, uh, when they're on the bridge, uh, was hitting his targets and he was shooting with accuracy, which, is what a sniper does right that's like literally their job yeah and uh fun fact the guy that's playing the sniper is the director sam hargreaves no shit yes so g was the director yep that makes sense yeah and the other two guys on the boat uh chris jai alex and vonzel carter they're both stunt guys action guys it really disappointed me especially the second time around because i'd forgot i'd forgotten they were in it and then i realized why because they die and I was like, ah, oh, they get to do nothing. They're just like there to be like, yeah, we're, we're going to go down and check out the sound we heard in the boat that only we're on. And like, they just right. get killed with like no effort. You just think, wow, I don't know how much you guys cost, but, uh, I hope it wasn't much. <laughs> and then the freaking sniper somehow gets snuck up on whilst he's looking at the boat the guy came out of. That's my. Only real gripe in the whole thing is just how easily Saji manages to just sneak up on three highly trained, you know, allegedly special forces turned mercenaries. Is like, you think they could have put up a little bit more of a fight? Yeah, that part, I, cause I was excited. I was hoping that they were going to kind of, you know, he was going to kind of be his wingman, I guess, in a sense, throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Cause he was a badass, you know, he helped them in that first scene and he was, you know shooting people and it was you know it would have been i think a good dynamic throughout the whole film and i was super surprised again it's another one of those movie norms that they just didn't follow but they killed them right there you know right at the beginning and it's like okay all right well i guess that guy's gone you know what i mean so it you know the more i'm talking about it the, there were a lot of things that i did appreciate about the movie so i i I say you did a good job picking this one. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what? I've done that a few times as well, where uh, I've watched somebody else's recommendation and I've come into it thinking, uh, I don't think I like that as much as people were thinking I would. And then I start talking about it and then halfway through go, actually, I seem to like this film a lot for someone who said I didn't really like this. <laughs> uh, so what is your take on... I don't know if you if you pay attention to them or not, but do you pay attention to like Rotten Tomatoes or anything like that? I don't pay attention to them as much as I used to. I do uh, look them up occasionally. I don't know what this film currently has, if that's what you're about to ask me. <laughs> it's got a 67% for the record. I was like critic score. Uh, which one's our critic one? So we have Metacritic, which is at 56, and then IMDB, which is 6.7 out of 10. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, what's my take on that? Or just on the, the whole scoring percentage? Like, do you trust these, these kind of ratings? No. <laughs> and, and 
I think I've sort of semi said this before, but maybe not quite as clearly because you, you've asked me direct. And there's a couple of responses back to that, which is that when you get mainstream review sites reviewing a film, quite often the person reviewing the film is not necessarily the person that you would want to review the film. So, for example, I had this uh, conversation with someone the other day where the guy who was reviewing big action film of the current day, whatever it was, I don't remember, and he literally starts his tweet off to tweet to his review with, yeah, I don't really like action films, but here's my review of the latest big action film. And guess what? He reviewed he it like as it. bad. And it's right. like, I'm so shocked that the guy that doesn't like action films didn't <laughs> think the new action film was any good. It's like someone coming to me and saying, hey, do you want to give a review of the, the latest big Bollywood blockbuster? It's like, no, because I've never seen any others to compare it to. I know nothing about that film industry and that genre. And they do that all the time on these sites, not just for films either. It's for TV and video games. It's, it's people seem to get stuck reviewing things they don't really want to review. And the other thing as well that is kind of a newer thing some of the reasons they'll put a film down have nothing to do with the film itself. The, the, the example I always think of, but I'm hesitant to say, is when uh, Black Panther, uh, I read a review once that basically said it's a rubbish film because although, yes, every actor is uh, black, which is uh, good, but none of them are gay, so it's a crap movie. And you're like, what? <laughs> but that's genuinely <laughs> their review and they, they like scored it poorly and it's an official site. For, for, because there was no gay actors. Yeah. Or, or characters, which are however you want to look at it. But, and, and that I find in a lot of reviews, there'll be something in it where they're like, Oh, this cat, you know, uh, with extraction, for example, I, uh, I don't even want to make up examples for fear of the response I'll get, but I see it a lot with, reviews where they'll insert stuff into them and you think but the film isn't about that the film that you're watching has nothing to do with the thing you're going on about in your review you know um <laughs> so i look at review scores tentatively because there are good reviewers out there and you know i don't i don't ever say oh, all critics are bad or anything like that but i do think that some of them don't necessarily just review what's in front of them and another trap right. that everybody gets in, including like us, is you, you have a mental idea of what the film should be before you watch it. Not so much you because you'd never heard of it, but say for us, for example, we know the director, we know stunt guys, we know action people. This was a big like, Oh, I can't wait to see this when it was coming out. And you've already kind of got an idea in your head of what you want the film to be. And that's difficult for the film to overcome. Because your head is going to come up with something way cooler than reality can actually provide. But it doesn't mean the film is bad. It just means it didn't live up to your levels of hype. But there's nothing the film could do about that, you know? Right. And that's you and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, you know, media consumption, whether it's movies, TVs, books, uh, it really doesn't matter what you're consuming. It's all subjective, right? Regardless of what somebody else says. But when you listen to what somebody else says, I think it, builds that expectation that you 
sets you up for failure. It either sets it up for failure or for success, right? So I don't, I'm not, uh, I look at the scores to see where people are with certain things. Because there are certain things that I've watched that I've really loved and it's had a shit score. And I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, who reviewed this? And then I've watched other things that are like, quote unquote, critically acclaimed and I hate it. You know, and I'm like, how does this have like a hundred percent? This this doesn't even make sense, right? So, you know, like media, movies, stuff like this, it's all subjective. It's it's all based on preference, right? But you do bring up a valid point about, you know, the expectations, right? I didn't have an expectation of this movie because I'd never even heard of it. I'm sure I've seen it on Netflix, but I probably, you know, I just never it never clicked in my head as to what it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. But so I had zero, I had literally zero expectations going into it, but you get something like Stranger Things 4, you know, that's, you know, coming out, you know, recently. And it's like, you already have this expectation. So if it doesn't mean it, then it's shit, even though it still might've been good. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And it's, <sighs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to get crucified for saying this by some people, but I'm going to say it. You were saying that you've watched some critically acclaimed films and not liking them. There was a very long period of time when I used to, I've kind of softened over the years because I found that, again, it's not all critics. It's not even all mainstream critics. It's just the ones that tend to get the most attention is like you could have the biggest spectacle blockbuster, most successful film of all time. It ticks all the boxes, the audience love it. It's made, you know, billions of dollars. There ain't anybody that has anything this bad to say about it. The critics will absolutely slate it. But then there'll be another film that's made no money, no one's seen, no one cares about, and it's two guys sitting in a room doing nothing but talk to each other about fuck all, and they'll be calling it a five-star film, the greatest thing of our time, your life will be changed forever. And that's always <laughs> been my issue with listening to critics because I in fact I've got an example of it happening kind of now is everything everywhere all at once for a while it was the indie film that could because it's an independent film it, it found some success everybody really likes it but now it's found too much success everybody likes it and now there's a backlash to its success going oh it's it's not that good it's not that great you know there are other films like it and and every, and people are turning on it because it's popular now. When it wasn't popular, when everyone thought it was this cool little small club, oh yes, this, right. this is amazing. But now it's, now everybody agrees that it's good. Oh no, no, come on. Uh, only, only plebs find that interesting, <laughs> you know? That drives me insane. Oh my God. I hate it when they do that, man. That's, uh, that's the, that's the hard part about social media, right? Everybody's got a voice. Everybody's got this. You know, so it, it's like the masses, right? Like the people aren't stupid, but people in masses are, you know what I mean? Like it's that mass, um, they have a word for it and I can't think of what it is. Herd mentality. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to be socially acceptable. So if one person says it, then another person says it, and then it just, you know, it keeps picking up traction. It happened to me recently with a movie. I'm not sure if you're a horror fan or not, but. Uh, Scream 5 came out this year and it was fucking terrible. It is by far one of, it's the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. 
but everybody loved it and it made millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. And I'm like, how the fuck can you love this movie? This is not, this is not a movie. This is not a good movie. And so I, I deal with that all the time. I don't know. That's just me though. <laughs> but no, it's like in the, so to tie it back to extraction, like in the second, well, I say the second, it's all kind of rolls into one, but after the big car sequence, he crashes the car, he goes into survival mode, escape and evade, uh, and he disappears into this building, and Saju disappears as well. But then the, it changes perspective, still keeping this one camera shot, and you instead get it from the point of view of like the SWAT team or the army. Again, it's unclear which bits are law enforcement, which bits are military. I'm pretty sure they're interchangeable where it's set. Um, right. And the thing is, again, is... It's. It, 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 I even made a note that said that this whole sequence is like the raid in reverse because you're seeing a, a group of military guys go into a building to hunt a target, and I re I realized as I was watching it, like this is like a little tribute to the raid. Like there's so many sequences that feel like tributes to other action films that have come out that they clearly were inspired by, and that bit in there where he goes in and he even has his little uh, karambit knife that he cuts off a few of them with and then fights uh, Saru later on when they fall off the balcony. But that whole sequence feels like it was like, right, this is how we would do the raid if you gave us the job, you know? <laughs> no, yeah, they're, the different perspectives were appreciated because then you're not focused on just one person's perspective. You know, just on Chris Hemsworth's perspective, you know, you get the different perspectives from, you know, from the gangster, from... From like you said, the military slash SWAT slash interchangeable people, but it was definitely the way that they they shot the cin the cinematography for the film was really well done. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I really liked. And again, you know, you get a lot of uh, gnarly knife kills from Chris. You get some really good, almost street fight levels of just kicking people in the head and shins. You know, it's like. He's not trying to be clean and pretty. You're not watching. Uh, it's not Jet Li going through and doing these great big poses and flowery movements. It's someone who's just d doing his best to survive and get out the other side without someone managing to pull the trigger before he can react. And uh, it's all about trying to get this next kill shot, which gives you that tension that some action films especially struggle with, where it feels like everybody's trying to be John Rambo and he does have a couple moments where he emulates that, but for the most part, he spends most of the film on the back foot. Right. No, and even when he does want to be, you know, Rambo, he has the skills to do it, right? And he does go hard and, you know, hurts a lot of people. And so just the different, the different styles that they were going through was definitely uh, a good perspective as far as an action movie goes, for sure. It also keeps it varied so you don't get, I know obviously you said by the end of it you were a bit bored, but because they at the beginning they were changing between hand-to-hand -hand guns, uh, different perspectives, mm -hmm. it stops you from going, oh, I've kind of seen this now, I want to move on. And even when they have uh, the knife fight on the street, they're surrounded by people, there's motorbikes and traffic going through them, and I love the fact that it doesn't end with one of them really beating the other, it ends because a car hits Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> Right. And it and it comes from out of nowhere, just out of frame, and you just go, ah, that looked like that hurt. And there's a there's a couple of moments like where they fall off the balcony, and you just like, I'm sure that that was a double, but 
even I, I like I don't know where the double came in. There's a few points where I do wonder if there's a bit of camera trickery going on there to make that uh, transition. But I love the fact that he then, you know, you you then follow Saju who takes the kid. That you think, oh, okay, so now that he's going to have him for a while, and then bang, Chris Hemsworth hits him with a truck. It's like I go hit with a car, I'm going to hit you with a truck. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like a a fight scene from Family Guy when Peter fights the chicken. Oh yeah, brilliant. <laughs> it did actually. Now you've said that, it's quite funny. Um, you know what I mean? Where they're fighting through everything and everybody, and life's going on around them, but they're still <laughs> fucking each other up. Yep. Yeah, that's a good comparison, to be fair, because what I also liked is um, whilst the fight was going on, they look like they're almost indestructible. But the following sequences, as, as you already said, you see the aftermath, like when the adrenaline's worn off, they're both like barely able to stand up and both of them have their arms in slings. Obviously, we already said you see uh, Saju reset bones in his uh, nose. And Chris is just popping pills like it's going out of fashion. It's like, almost felt like there needed to be a warning. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Don't beat people up because then you have to take drugs. Yeah, but that's why they beat them up in the first place. They wanted to take their drugs. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, we get uh, both Saju and Chris on the phone. One to his family, the other to his team. And basically both of them realize it's all gone horribly wrong horribly horribly wrong and uh yeah that's where we get that moment where uh she basically tells tyler that she should just leave uh, he should just leave the kid on the street and just extract because he's got the skill set to just not get caught on his own but trying to babysit a kid they don't really say his age going with 12 or 14 somewhere around there yeah that's gonna make it now an impossible Obviously, they don't know that his face has been plastered everywhere because, you know, CCTV exists, <laughs> which right, exactly. is like, you know, I don't know how realistically it would have made much of a difference at that point, but they don't know that. So, yeah. My question to you was, maybe you can help explain it to me, when that little kid, I say little kid, he was a teenager, but he cut his finger off to give it to that guy. Why? Why did he do that? Oh, okay. So that's, that's, yeah, that's a bit later in the film. Uh, cause that's the kid that he, he get, that you alluded to earlier gets slapped around. Cause I, I actually love right. that scene. Cause, um, he, he pops out the smoke grenades and it like, he turns into a friendly Batman where he's stalking them from the shadows, but instead of like beating them to a pulp, he just slaps them. And it, it just made me think this is like a Steven Seagal film at this point now. He's just, uh, <laughs> throwing his hands around and everybody else is just falling over. It's great. But. Yeah, that, that kid. So at the very beginning, uh, where we were with that guy that threw the kid off the roof, um, that's the same kid that, um, Amir, the bad guy says, Oh, you should cut off two of your fingers because the guy that stole my money, you say just got thrown off the roof. Now, obviously that wasn't true. The kid was the one who stole the money. He was just lying to cover himself. And Amir knew that. That's why he told him to cut his fingers off. Um, but then, he doesn't have to cut his fingers off because the colonel shows up and says, you know, we've lost the kid. So he's like, oh, well, you get to keep your hand, I guess. So when he loses uh, Tyler and uh, Ovi, he makes the decision to cut his own finger off before he goes and sees Amir because he wants to prove like, oh, I know I failed you. And when someone's failed you, you expect like a, a repercussion. So I've done it for you. You don't even need to ask. That's how loyal I am. And I want a second chance. 
that kind of makes sense. I, that's what I was thought they were going for, but I wasn't, you know, a hundred percent sure that that's what the feeling was that they were going for. I thought, I don't know why I thought he cut his finger off, but I, I don't even know what I was thinking about it, but yeah, it was one of those things that that's interesting. I mean, that's a good, the more we're talking about it, the more I'm realizing how much I think I actually like this movie. <laughs> hey, <laughs> it's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be fair, I actually really like that scene. Like, we'll, we'll rewind it a minute and talk about David Harbour, but I really like that scene because the kid thinks that he has to cut off his finger to, to prove that although he's failed, you know, he's afraid of Amir. He doesn't want him to just kill him. Um, and he wants a chance to get revenge. But I like that scene because Amir doesn't respond. Like you were saying earlier with changing the norms, he doesn't respond in the typical villain way. He's not like, pleased in fact quite the opposite he was kind of like why have you brought me a severed finger and then when he, he says to him you know oh if you let me kill tyler i'll give you the other finger and the second he says that amir actually looks like upset stroke angry and he's like no like s sit down you weird ass kid and he's like <laughs> let me give you some advice stop trying to be the biggest badass in the yard because there's always going to be somebody out there who's a bigger badass than you are. And he like right. gives him some genuinely good advice out of nowhere. And again, you don't really get any time with Amir to see what he is. Yes, we know he's a guy in charge of this area, but realistically, that doesn't actually mean he's the bad guy. And I'm using quotation marks there because we know nothing about him other than he's trying to get Ovi to do something to his dad who we kind of get the hint, isn't a very nice guy either. So it kind of throws everything up in the air. Like, what is actually going on behind the scenes? Like, I think it was a deliberate choice to not tell us that because the mercenaries that we follow, really the point of view of, and the kid, don't know any of that either, you know? Right. Right. No, that's a good, that's a good perspective too. It was because... You did not get a whole lot on him. You don't know exactly who he is. He's obviously important, but to what extent it was never explained. Yeah, I mean, the the place he was in, I'm assuming it's like his home, maybe. But, you know, even the seats were like lined with gold and obviously had all those beautiful women around him. Like he's he's living the life and everybody knows who he is like the police don't mess with him the army works for him he basically runs his small little area like you said and it would just be interesting to to know more about him i mean that the actor in particular i know has done a few indian films and i really liked the time he was in it although he wasn't in the film much i thought he played the role well but you, you like you say you really don't get a lot of time with any of the quote-unquote bad guys because they are more the, the type that send other people out to do their work for them. Right, exactly. But So you said you want to go back in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I have to go back in time. Yeah, because uh, you, you briefly talked about it earlier, but obviously out of nowhere, uh, the character Gaspar, which is a great name, <laughs> um, is, is mentioned like right from the word go. They kind of set up the fact that he lives in Dhaka or Dhaka. I can never, never sure how to pronounce that. Um, or Dakar. Oh, I'm doubting myself now. Anyway, moving on. David Harbour is playing the character and he just shows up like he helps them. And at first he seems like a good friend. He's a retired uh, former Merc who used to work with them. And clearly they've got a lot of history. Like he even says, like, you saved my life. 
He gives them a safe house. He goes back to his wife, who, again, we know nothing about, never meet. I don't even think we learn her name. Um, but we know that she can cook food. That we do know. And then we get that big emotional scene that we already covered where uh, we find out that Tyler indeed lost his son to uh, a disease, an illness that he couldn't do anything about. But we also get what I think was, I don't want to say pivotal, but I think it was important, which is that all of that happened and he wasn't there for that. He volunteered to go serve a third tour uh, in the Middle East rather than deal with the fact that his son was fading away and be there for him. And I love the fact that Ovi is telling him he's brave because he's a fighter, he's a military man, he's killed people, and he's like, I'm not brave. And then he obviously breaks down, and he's like, you know, if I'm that brave, why couldn't I be there for my son as he was dying and, you know, be there for my wife as she was going through that as well? And I thought that was great because Saju and Tyler... At the start of the film, you know, Saju is in a really awkward position because his boss, his employer is in prison. He's kind of trying to run things and he's failed at protecting his boss's son. And now his family's in danger as a result. Tyler is basically just looking for a way to die or to get money to keep trying to find ways to die. But throughout the film, they both kind of make a conscious effort that even if they die, Ovi's going to live and the whole theme of the film is redemption and i think for tyler that scene is his moment where ovi sort of says to him you know well x y and z because there's a lot of speech i don't want to quote the film but then he goes back to partying but it's because of that scene where i think if he hadn't have had that moment to connect with ovi what happens next with david harbour's character he might not have had an issue with he might have just been like you know what fuck it. It's easier for me. I don't give a shit, you know? But because he's now right. made that connection, he's had that emotional bond, when David Harbour's like, hey, we could just kill the kid, it would be kinder, because this is the other thing I like, is he's not doing it to be an asshole. He's not doing it to be a bad guy. He genuinely thinks that this is helping. Like, he says it so many times in the scene, like, you can't get out of here. Like, this place is locked down. You don't understand how things work here. I've negotiated a way for you to get out so that you live. You know, that's better than you were 10 minutes ago. All we have to do is kill the target that you don't actually have to protect. Like, you've already been told to get rid of him. What's the issue here? Like, you get money, I get money, and you get to live, and we can go out and just have a good time. Like, I'll do all of the work for you, you know? He's not even, he's like, I'll do it. Like, I know that it would be hard for you. I get that. You just walk away for five minutes and it'll be done, you know? Yeah, which again, that's another one of those, you know, those movie norms that caught me a little off guard when he was like, yeah, we'll just kill the kid. And then he brought up the money. So then that, that like, I understand him wanting to help his friend, but then it felt like it became about money for me because he was like, well, it's $10 million. Like it's 10 million and 10 million dollars is a lot of fucking money. But I mean, and you're right. Maybe that scene of him connecting with the kid, you know, altered his trajectory, but definitely he was not going to kill that kid. I don't think any amount of money was going to cause him to kill that kid as to where David Harbor was like, no, nah, let's fucking kill him. It's $10 million and we'll, we'll move on. You know what I mean? So it was definitely a turning point. I feel like in the movie for sure. Yeah, and uh, I also because even when 
Gaspar and Tyler then start fighting once they realize that they're they're not going to agree to disagree and just move on. Like one wants to, one doesn't, and they start fighting. I actually kind of was reminded of, because funnily enough, you brought it up earlier with Peacemaker, but I was actually reminded of the Suicide Squad where uh, Peacemaker and Colonel Flag fight each other, which ironically came out after this. But having seen that more recently, it did kind of make me think like when they shot Gaspar and he died, it was kind of like, you know, ah, what a joke, you know? <laughs> right, 100%. I did not expect them to fight, though. And I didn't expect... I mean, I, I kind of suspected it, but I didn't expect them to kill his character like that. I thought it was going to be more of a point of contention throughout the rest of the film, and not just that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think <sighs> Gaspar, to me, represented what Tyler used to be. Straight mercenary, doesn't care about anyone. And this is what he was, say, on his last mission, for sake of argument. And if if you'd been if he'd been offered this, then he'd have said yes. But this whole adventure, in inverted commas, has kind of awoken his moral compass, his ethics, and it's sort of reignited his compassion. And he's like, well, no, it's like I already sacrificed a shit ton of people to get him this far, and it's a kid, you know. And the mercenary in him is going, yeah, this makes complete sense. But the human being is going, not going to happen. But the thing is, is Gaspar actually beats Tyler and is seconds away from killing him. And it's actually Ovi that comes in and shoots Gaspar, which, again, is not something that you'd usually see because you don't tend to see kids killing adults in most films. And unlike, I reckon, or pretty much anything else I've seen, they don't really dwell on it. Like Ovi just kills him, has a moment, and then we just move on. Like he doesn't. <laughs> we, we don't spend ten minutes of him having an emotional breakdown. breakdown because he's right. just killed someone, and it's just kind of yeah. That's that's how different his world is to ours, you know. Right, but that is also a, a testament to, I guess, you know, like you said, his world. He he has a lot of death in his world. You know, it's. Uh, you know, killings aren't out of the norm. People, you know, getting shot are probably pretty normal to him, you know, and he sees probably on maybe a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week basis. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he had already been desensitized to that situation. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think that was what they were implying with how well he deals with everything that happens in the film. Um, he doesn't really have that moment where he just loses it. Um, he's, he's, he actually stays together probably the best out of all of the characters. Um, and he, you know, at the very beginning of the film, he just wants to be a normal kid. He's got bodyguards. He's got teams of people that look after him and drive him around. So I, it wouldn't surprise me either if, like you say, when his dad was around, whether he unfortunately had to see a lot of what that business, whatever it is, entailed, including people, you know, being roughed up, killed, whatever it might be. And it's it, it's both testament to how strong his character is that he can still just be a kid, having seen all of that, but also kind of depressing that he's had to see and deal with all of that. Right, 100%, I agree. And then obviously we get the, the moment where after trying to kill each other throughout most of the film, Tyler and Saju uh, 
decide to work together because although they both probably hate each other's guts because that you know they've they've caused most of their injuries let's be honest and saju killed all of his friends uh that were in his team but they're the only two that can get ovi out and that's about the only thing that they agree on and again the first time around i don't think i really picked up on it as much but this time around especially it was sort of like they still don't really want to work together but it, uh, they're willing to do it because they both need Ovi to get out, regardless of what they have to do or sacrifice in order to do it. Like they're both sort of making a conscious effort to each other. Like we both know neither one of us is getting out of here alive, and it's like, yeah, uh, but he, the kid, will, and that's all that matters. Yeah, they they definitely did not want to work together. You could feel the apprehension, and they were building that that apprehension of like, what the fuck? Who are you? Like, I don't want to work with you basically, you know? And then it was like, well, you know, and he was in it and he was explaining to Tyler, you know, he was going to kill my family. I had no choice. And Tyler's like, I don't give a shit. Like you could have killed him basically. You know what I mean? At least that's what it felt like. So yeah, they definitely I mean, given how skilled Saju actually is. I mean, they show you in his house that he is former military, but again, he took out three of Tyler's team is, is just as capable as taking out all of the regular, like disposable adversaries that the film is littered with. I mean, right. you just think who in God's name would someone send after you that would actually make you worried, you know? Right. Exactly. But in turn, that kind of makes you realize, well, who is his employer? Because like, if he's afraid of him, what can, what, who is it that he has on speed dial, you know? <laughs> that is true. That is a very good point. If a quote unquote badass is afraid of somebody, that's the guy you should probably be afraid of too. Yeah. And then obviously that leads us into the giant actical spectacle finale that just has so many moving parts. Uh, big, big, big 1980s moment where uh, Chris Hemsworth gets to just start blowing stuff up indiscriminately, which I loved. <laughs> uh, for, for half a moment, he was John Rambo and the Terminator all rolled into one. And what I absolutely, absolutely loved is the fact that the the army dudes he was just mowing down were like, fuck this, and just shot at him with an RPG. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, that's what you would do in that situation. <laughs> like, I have an RPG. This guy is really hard to kill. Let's just blow him up. <laughs> absolutely, 100%. And the, 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 you know, we've already talked about it a little bit, but the sniper shooting throughout the film was really well done. They did a really good job to uh, portray it in a very realistic way where the snipers would actually hit what they're trying to shoot. Yeah, uh, the sniper moment where the, the uh, pretty sure it is the colonel uh, from earlier in the film who's now revealed to be like a sniper. The fact that the way he introduces the fact that he's there is by killing Saju was just such a heart-wrenching moment that I had forgotten because he fights so damn hard to get across that bridge. Like, he gets shot so many times. He is knifed. He is, like, the only thing holding him together is sheer force of will. And then he, like, gets a gun, reloads, he's got back in cover, and he's like, right, I'm going to do this. And then a bullet goes through his head as the sniper enters the field. And you're just like, no. <laughs> and that was, again, that's another one of those uh, jarring moments, you know, where it catches your attention. Like, oh, shit, that, that, that's right. We're watching this movie. Let's let's do this. Yeah. The one thing I do like, uh, even though I would have liked them to do a bit more, is the fact that 
during all of this chaos, Tyler's team, the remnants of, all show up. And now, instead of looking like they're a bunch of uh, hackers, they're all also in body armor. They've all got automatic weapons. And it's like, yeah, we're here to uh, enact some vengeance for the people that you slaughtered earlier in the film. And they do! <laughs> right. Like, uh, Nick, uh, Nick Khan, the woman that leads the team, she is just uh, a badass. I mean, she is both a sniper, the heavy weapons person, and she's pretty good with her automatic rifle. I mean, she takes down a helicopter and she takes out the other sniper in a sniper battle, which I absolutely loved. Absolutely. No, the, the finale action scene was definitely well done because it's there. They have so many different people involved, whether it be his team, you had, uh, Saj, you said is how you pronounce his name. Uh, I'm going with Saju. I could be completely wrong with that. I'm not even going to pretend I know how to pronounce everybody's <laughs> names. You were pretty damn confident throughout. So, I, uh, I it, it, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But you know, I, it's like this is what I'm going with. <laughs> well, Saju, you know, you had so many different perspectives on the bridge. You had the quote-unquote good guys. You had the quote-unquote bad guys. You had the team. You had the kid, because even the kid, you know, they give you the perspective of the kid watching him watch the people fight you had there were just so many different perspectives on that on that finale fight scene that kind of tied it all together at the end you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. also uh, uh just so because i've said the character's name so many times i'd just like to say big props to the actress that actually played nick khan and uh speaking of pronunciations if i get this wrong i apologize but i'm pretty sure her name is uh gol shifta farahani i i thought that personally she could have been in this film a lot more and i'd have been happy she managed to get that balance between someone that has the military experience but doesn't throw it around um her the rest of her team were absolutely useless but i'm glad that at least someone other than tyler had some uh, competency because there is one bit in the final uh, act that annoys me. I like the fact that the sniper killed the one of the helicopter pilots so that the other guy had to take over and he had to leave until the area was clear. What I didn't like was that none of the rest of the team took cover and then another guy was just kind of standing there with his head out like, oh, what should we do now? And then just gets immediately <laughs> taken out. And it's just like, come on! Surely she'd have reacted slightly better than that because she did. She immediately went down, you know? Right. No, yeah, there was that. I laughed at that too because I was like, oh, bruh, there's a sniper. You guys know there's a sniper now and you're just kind of standing there with your head out there like, yeah, shoot me, please. You're like a, literally just a standing target. Yeah. I also love the fact that uh, while Saju, uh, just before he gets shot and he's pinned, he's like, on the radio and he's like tyler i need you on the bridge and he's like oh yeah yeah i'll be there in a minute gets out of cover and there's an apc just chilling there like what's up it's like oh shit just <laughs> 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 starts blowing everything apart try to kill him and then somehow he gets away and obviously makes it to the bridge but i do find that funny there was like oh yeah they're bringing in helicopters they're bringing in apcs they're sending in like their own version of their special forces and it was just sort of, just like you say, so many perspectives, so much chaos, and uh, I loved it. It looked like, like you say, a war zone, and you could see the bad guy, uh, Amir, with his binoculars, like, safe, miles and miles away. He's just, like, viewing the carnage and just, hmm, 
<laughs> then you get to the point where Chris Hemsworth or Tyler Rake, you know, gets shot <clears throat> and he's kind of, you know, stumbling around, you know, trying, still trying to fight to get out. And you could see from the kid's perspective how much that hurt him because he knew at that point that Chris Hemsworth's character wasn't going to make it out of there. No, exactly. Um, I think everybody kind of knew that he wasn't going to make it out there. I mean, the kid had already lost Saju, who I don't think he was that close to, but he did at least know him. And um, the other guy, you know, when he gets shot, by the sniper before Nick takes him out. And then she goes across the bridge to basically try and cover him. I like that. And then he goes on his like last stand rampage and manages to kill some people, turns around, starts walking, music blares triumphantly. She it goes into slow motion and it's like, yeah, we're getting the, the 1980s movie ending. And then <laughs> bang, as that irritating kid with only four fingers now, shoots him in the back <laughs> and uh, takes his revenge and then disappears before Nick can kill him. And I just, I, I just made a note that was like, you know, if you'd only spent, you know, more time keeping your eyes covering uh, Tyler rather than being basking in the glory of his uh, slow motion walk, you probably could have killed that kid before he even <laughs> raised his gun because he wasn't exactly in cover. <laughs> Right, exactly. 100%. The slow mo when the slow motion comes in, you know there's going to be a scene of, what the fuck are you doing that? Do something else. Yeah. Um, I actually made a note. Uh, again, I already knew the answer, but because, like I say, the film is very much about redemption for the two main characters, I did make a comment of, you know, Sa Saju basically redeems himself by dying. Uh, you know, he saves his family in the process. He saves uh, the kid and he kind of makes up for is a very strong word. But, you know, he did kill three people that he hired and he made this whole mess happen. If he hadn't have tried to betray them in the first place, they'd have extracted from the boat without any issues like way, way earlier in the film. So him dying was kind of inevitable, given that they were trying to make him this good character. Um, but I made a note that's like, you know, uh, Will Tyler also have to die in order to get his redemption or has his actions and compassion in the film already done that? You know, he has his convictions and his emotions. They're sort of reignited. Um, and then as the bullet goes through his neck, we have our answer. And it's like he, want, <laughs> he wanted to die. And now that he kind of has a reason to live, naturally is when death is going to find him. Um I also made a comment, I'm amazed that this PMC group has any members left, given how easily the vast majority of them were killed. Because, like, <laughs> there's only, what, two of them left by the time the helicopter extracts? I mean, there is, like, a nameless guy who was helping them, but he's not on the helicopter. So I don't know if that's just a continuity error or if he was, like, driving away in one of the Jeeps. I don't know. But, yeah, there were other people on the bridge, like, characters we'd never met before. So I don't know what happened to them. Um the one thing I will say is I had forgotten and I absolutely love the fact that at the end we see Amir in his big shiny gold palace and he's celebrating and he's gone out to this restaurant and uh, whilst he's in the restaurant, this very, very pretty woman comes up next to him and then just blows his head off. 
and it's Nick getting revenge. And I thought that was just a nice touch. Like, it almost makes you think, why wasn't she the one that was sent in to do this? Because, like, she can blend in a hell of a lot better than six foot two Chris Hemsworth can, you know? <laughs> that is true. I will give you that one. But then I thought about it afterwards and I thought, well, actually, had the mission gone according to plan, they wouldn't have needed to blend in. You know, that was a, a result right. of the fact that they were betrayed. They, they had completely outmaneuvered the people they were supposed to. You know, they extracted. They just couldn't actually get out of the country because they were double crossed. So I thought, well, right. you know, it's a, it's a good comment. But realistically, the film did kind of account for that, you know. Absolutely. 100%. Now, she by far was, I think, that mysterious badass in the background that kind of made you want more of. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, my impression was that her, Chris Hemsworth, David Harbour, and maybe uh, some of the guys that unfortunately were killed all used to work together as a team. And like David Harbour used to be maybe top dog. And he obviously retired and Nick decided that she wanted to go higher up in the command structure. So that's why, you know, Chris Hemsworth is the one that ended up being utilized because as they say right at the beginning, you know, there is a man that does this sort of thing. And that's what they do. They're, you know, they're mostly used for hostage rescue situations like this. And I just, I got the impression that everybody, even if that's not what they do now, at some point has done this you know this is what they all right, specialize 100%. in now i'm gonna ask you a question because uh, i know the answer to this but did you actually notice what happened at the very end of the film yeah so he <clears throat> i know throughout the film that the the flashbacks or whatever or you know him on the beach was kind of out of focus and then when chris hemsworth's character is getting ready to die that beach scene came into focus and then now you see his son and his wife you know or a woman and you know his which is supposedly his wife and i felt that was a little over the top though when he fell backwards like because usually like when you're up against something like that you kind of just slump when you die but it was almost like he threw himself backwards you know off the bridge but yeah i is that what you were going for as, as far as the, the scene? No. Uh, okay. No. So earlier in the film, uh, during one of the conversations between Tyler and Ovi, uh, it's the it's the first one they have where they hide in like the auto shop and they're trying to bandage his arm. And it, like they don't mm -hmm. really know each other. They don't even know each other's names yet. And they start talking and then that's where they kind of start hinting about the fact that stuff happens and um as i said in the when they were having that bonding scene when they're trying to like establish what happened in the past for tyler ovi again in both scenes is kind of almost like the rock for chris hemsworth and he says something uh in one of those scenes uh, he says you drown not by falling into a river but by staying submerged in it and uh, obviously he got that from a book, uh, kind of forecasting the end by having him literally oh. fall into a river. Now, fun fact, you do not die by falling into the river. You die by staying submerged in it. At the very, very end of the film, Ovi jumps into a pool and he sits at the bottom holding his breath like Chris Hemsworth's character was doing. And when he pops out of the water, there is a figure standing on the poolside that you see for literally one frame. 
And then the film ends. I missed that. I did not see that. Now, fun fact, I know that that is Tyler for a completely different reason to you, because I know that Extraction 2 comes out this year. (laughs) 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 However, when I watched the film originally, obviously that hadn't been confirmed. So that was a point of conversation for a long time. Like, is that him or not? Because they don't let you see him enough and he's wearing sunglasses. But how else would the kid have learned the same breathing exercise that Tyler was using. So I believe he is alive and has chosen to stay there to be his guardian. And there is a second film coming, uh, of which I believe there is like a teaser trailer. And in the teaser trailer, he's submerged in the war going into the river. And then he does the um, Jason Bourne, well, I'm still alive, and then swims off. (laughs) (laughs) I missed that. Okay. Fair enough. I, that is, and it looks like it's coming out next year, early next oh, year. Oh, is it next year now? Okay. I, I think yeah. maybe it was supposed to be this year. Maybe it's moved. It wouldn't surprise yeah, me. They, right. That's okay. Yeah, I missed that. I said totally missed that, but I already knew uh, that there was going to be a second one. You know what I mean? Because I did a little bit of research on it before I watched it. But, but yeah, so I already knew that there was going to be a second one, but I I kind of expected it to be like a from the kid's perspective so he you know maybe nick became his guardian or you know he he got into the group with nick and nick is kind of like teaching him yeah 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 he kind of like takes chris hemsworth's place you know what i mean yeah like i really hope that uh i don't know because i i haven't looked it up for a while because obviously i didn't want to look up too much about the sequel whilst re-watching the original but i'm really hoping that nick is in the sequel and if she is that she they give her a lot more to do you know Right, 100%. But yeah, that, that that pretty much covers the whole film. So now that we have uh, talked about it for uh, a little while, uh, do you still feel the same about the film as when we started the conversation? Uh, no, actually, I do not. I, I, I don't necessarily know that I would watch it again still. I, I don't think I've softened on that perspective. But there are things that you explained and that you caught being watching it your second time uh, that definitely helps it make more sense for me yeah so i can i can have those aha moments and say okay that makes more sense and maybe you know maybe i do watch it again with the knowledge that i have now and it it's better you know what i mean but uh, i still if you're into action movies, I would recommend it because it, there's a lot of action in it and there's a lot of scenes that are like, oh, like that'll catch you off guard. Uh, but I, it, to me, it's it's almost like a one-time watch kind of thing. But I definitely feel a little bit different about it now than what I did at the beginning of the conversation. That's fair. So good job on your part. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, it's not my mission in life to make everybody change their opinions, but you know, I'll take it. <laughs> How much should they pay you to get you to... Ch- change my perspective Uh, yeah if i wish they paid me (laughs) to change people's perspective you'd you'd see an exquisitely written essay on why extraction is the defining action film of our time (laughs) (laughs) it it would all be absolute horseshit but it would you would believe i believed it (laughs) fair enough fair enough that's that's how sponsorships work right you sell your soul for a little bit of money (laughs) Absolutely. That's right. That's how the devil works, right? Yeah, man. Uh, anyway, thank you very much for joining us on this wonderful journey. 
No, thanks for having me. This was uh, a little bit out of my norm, I guess, but I, I really enjoyed the conversation. The movie was better talking about it than watching it, I think. <laughs> um, Sometimes no, that's it, was, fun. it was good. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Obviously, if you want to come back, you're more than welcome to. Um, if you de- if you genuinely want to talk about Reacher next, by all means do. You'll just have to give me plenty of warning because I'll have to rewatch the show and that probably won't be for a while. <laughs> uh, I feel like I need to come back for John Wick, though. I feel like that is that. God, I love that movie. It's such a good movie. Sorry. I'm like, I gushed over that movie every time I talk about it. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. <laughs> I will throw you over to myself of the future now to give you the outro. Any information that needs saying and maybe what's going to be next week. We'll see because lately that hasn't been reliable. But either way. Thank you once again. Go to check out his podcast. It was a great guest to have on, and I'm looking forward to possibly more. See you in a bit. All right, there you go. That's the end of the show. And the first thing that I want to say, because I was uh, going to say it in the intro, and then the intro got a bit too long. But uh, one thing I just want to quickly get out of the way in case some people misunderstand what I was saying, because I, I, when I edited it back, I realized I wasn't as clear as I wanted to be but i i started talking about the fact that i'd watched uh, some indian films since i seen this film originally and that kind of helped with some of the uh things that were going on around you know that weren't from tyler's point of view like with the the villain characters the antagonist and the way that the city was the culture was some of the the little subtle things that the actors do I saw uh, similar mannerisms in both Master and RRR and a couple of other films I've watched but haven't uh, done anything with in terms of reviews yet. But um, I know some people might be confused because only when I was listening to it back did I realize that it kind of sounds like I'm saying that Bangladesh, which is where this film is set, specifically Dhaka, you know, and I'm sat there talking about India like it's the same place. They're two different countries. I'm, I'm fully aware of that. But uh, what I what I meant was is that the film was allegedly, and I use this word allegedly because I'm pretty sure I had this conversation with somebody else at the time. According to what I've read, it was mostly filmed in India and parts of Thailand. Uh, there was obviously some stuff that was shot on location, but I think they filmed a lot of it in India. But I just wanted to clear that up because, yeah, even I was listening back to that and realized that I didn't quite make that as clear as I was trying to. I got a lot more out of it with their performances because I'd seen some more films that sort of explained things that I missed the first time. Or maybe I was just paying more attention and it had nothing to do with it. Who knows? So with that said, I do hope you enjoyed that episode. As I say, it was great to chat with somebody that uh, came at it from a different perspective, and I think it's safe to say that we kind of changed his mind as it went on even if he uh, wasn't quite willing to be like, yeah, man, you changed my mind at the end. Though he did kind of say in so many words. As for what's coming next, there's only one Monday left, and then the next time that it's a Monday, it will be Boxing Day. So Christmas will be here. There is a Christmas episode in inverted commas, And uh, if I tell you that the film that we've picked will probably start an argument about whether or not it's a Christmas film, I'm sure you can work out what it is, because it's the most obvious cliched one that there is. But um, before then, 
we will be welcoming back Matthew Essery to talk about, uh, well, to, I say to talk about, we actually talked about it freaking months ago. But much like this episode, it's one of the ones that's been stuck in a backlog, so I'm really, really happy to finally say that he is coming back to talk about Showdown in Manila, a completely different film in terms of uh, budget and execution from the one that I've talked about today, which was a big Netflix film. And Showdown in Manila is a uh, small-scale independent film, but has a lot of people in it that uh, action fans should probably be familiar with. So Matthew and I had that conversation a while ago, and uh, I'm finally happy to, to get it out there so that people can hear it, because I actually think it's a great conversation that uh, me and Matthew have. And uh, I can finally follow up on one of the things that Matt suggests at the end of the episode, which I have done. So look forward to that, and then it will be time to celebrate the Christmas period, or whatever it is that you celebrate, happy holidays. Insert festive message here. I will be doing Christmas, and I will not be here. I will be going home for the first time in what feels like forever, because there's no uh, uh, law, that's the nice way of saying it, preventing travel anymore. And I don't work in a hospital anymore. That would make that even worse. So I'm going to enjoy that. But hopefully there should still be an episode coming out on the 26th, and you guys will find out what that is then, if you haven't already guessed. So take care of yourselves, stay safe, don't get caught in the snow, and I shall see you all in the next one. On the Action Addicts Podcast!